Laura and I moved to California in 2005. We couldn't even imagine affording a regular house. It's just impossible for a, a young family in our situation. It, 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 there was just no way. So we squeezed into, I mean this both financially and physically, into a townhouse. It was 1,100 square feet. I still remember picturing my boys playing on the only grass they had was the little patch of grass between like a sidewalk and a road. That was it. Crammed into one room. And on top of that, we got in in 06. You know what happened around 07, 08? All of a sudden, we lost $200,000 of value on our home. That same home now, by the way, is recovered and expanded. To buy that little 1,100-square-foot place right now is $650,000. So if you want to move to California, I know a townhouse you could get for the cost of a mansion. My friend came two years later. Instead of buying in 06 when I did, he bought in 08 or 09. When guess what? Those houses that were unreachable were all of a sudden affordable. And for eight years, we lived in this little, as my friend Fana Timoti would say, cracker box. And we would be in there, the kids in this one little room, all crammed in there, and I was completely discontent with our home. For eight years, I felt a level of discontentment over that. And I guess I hadn't felt that before. I was frustrated. I saw what my friend, right, my neighbor, as the text says, I saw what he was able to live in, having the exact same job I have, and I was discontent. I don't think I'd tasted it so much, or better, I don't think, at least in sometimes what we could say is his perfect providence that the Lord had revealed to me where my heart really was. It's funny, I look back at that and was thinking, you know what, maybe my kids were crammed. I mean, literally, they were in this one tiny room. And yet when we moved here and there were more rooms, that first night my kids wanted to sleep in the same room. Little sister missed the opportunity to be able to reach up and hold an older brother's hand if she got scared in the middle of the night. And they talk about that little tiny house as one of their favorite places to live. So while I was full of discontent, my kids saw beyond that. Though it was funny, we moved here, we had a very average sized yard and my then second grade son, Ben, looked out the window and said, can I go out and play in that field? Uh, that's just a yard. Uh, this, that's just a yard, uh, this is Illinois. So are you content? Like, are you content? Because you're about to get combination MRI, CAT scan, EKG from the 10th commandment. So let me just ask you, kind of, are there any of those symptoms that you may know now as the great physician is about to give you a little bit of a check on your heart condition? Are you content? Are you content with your marriage? Are you content with the body God has given you and the ailments that you have? Are you content with your children? or your job, or your house, or your car, or your free time? Are you content? Because God loves you so much, 
that he wants to make sure that he helps you understand that properly ordering your desires is part of his gracious care for you. And if you and I aren't careful, our desires are disordered. Let's pray and prepare to listen to God's word. Father, help us to heed your word and to see the beautiful things of your law. Give us wisdom and guidance. And Father, even as we've prayed before, may your spirit apply these words to our lives. Help us check ourselves. Help us to check our hearts. Father, we ask you work in us, not only just for our good, but for your glory, for the good of your children, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Here's a summary of what I think the 10th commandment is forbidding. Remember, eight of the commandments are negative and two are positive. This is a negative. It's a you shall not, you shall not covet. It means something like this. The 10th commandment forbids desiring things outside or beyond what God has given. To covet means to desire something strongly, to crave the possession of something. So desire and craving are good words to use. In a simple sense, to covet is to move beyond what you need to what you want, but I think it's deeper than that. Because you all would know what you want and could balance that. To covet is to, to take it at a deeper level. It's to place something on a level that causes us to devote ourselves to it. Like your life is oriented around a particular craving, desire. And it could be for material things, but it need not be. It could just be just general dissatisfaction with how life is in comparison to your neighbors. We were made to desire things. So desire itself isn't bad. If desire was bad, we wouldn't be able to desire God and crave God. We wouldn't be able to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That requires desire. But we covet when we place something other than God on his level. Every person, not just a Christian who reads their Bible or daily bread or whatever devotional you do, every human has a devotional life. They are completely devoted. They're devoted to something or someone every single day. It's not if they're devoted, it's to what or to whom. That gets us to our text, Exodus 20. It's an interesting text. It, it doesn't say you shall not cover your neighbor's Ferrari. It doesn't say your neighbor's four-wheeler or boats or beautiful gowns. It doesn't mention the extreme things. It mentions things that you probably wouldn't even, who wants a donkey? In fact, if my neighbor had a donkey, I'd covet a different neighbor, honestly. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Again, each of those are probably categories like levels of wealth or service. But to be honest with you, these are not extravagant things. Only, only the poorest of poor would not have had some of these items. So it's not, you should not cover your neighbor's mansion. It's just simply talking about normal things other people have. Because ultimately, the text is not concerned with the things themselves, but with the desire and where it comes from. We covet not because the thing is so desirable, but because we have become disordered. There's an imbalance. There's a devotion that's out of alignment. And when that happens, it could just be somebody else's donkey 
It doesn't matter. It's not that it's greater or grander than ours. It's just we crave it. Desire is distorted when it's aimed at the wrong object so that even our lives can become undesirable to us. Our desires are evil when they move outside or beyond what God has given. And there's the thrust, right? Get ready, get ready for this. The thrust is you break the 10th commandment of coveting if you are wanting or craving something beyond what God has given to you. And as Vera rightly said, it will not be the same. I was watching those athletes last night play a little basketball, these six foot ten superior athletes running up and down. And I remember a conversation I had with somebody at our church several years ago who said, my son could have played Division I basketball if he was tall. And yeah, there was one key ingredient missing. Instead of being six foot five, he was five foot five. Something missing. That's all of us in some capacity. It might be intellectually or financially or physical health or relational. Something we can crave, covet. When our desires move outside or beyond what God has given. This commandment exposes our desires, our loves, and helps us order them in relationship to the will of God. What is the will of God for you? Well, it actually might be revealed in regard to what he's given you. And this is where Romans 7, 7 that Carly read for us a few minutes ago is helpful. It's interesting that Paul, when talking about the law, is the law good? Is it bad? Like, what's the purpose of the law? He actually brings up the 10th commandment. He's basically asking in verse 7, it's in your notes, what shall we say then? That the law is sin? No. By no means. It's the strongest way Paul can say, absolutely not. And then he says this, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Like the law actually helps us reveal what is good and right and true. And it becomes a an EKG or an MRI or a CAT scan for us to see that something is disordered. We've talked about this before, and it's the last Sunday in the Ten Commandments. I heard one kid say, I'm glad it's not a hundred commandments. Yeah, it's only ten. But we've talked about every single commandment does three things. They, number one, reveal God's character, His holiness. He is the one in regard to the Tenth Commandment that we should desire the most and submit ourselves to. But number two, that each commandment reveals our sinful condition. Romans 7, 7, we wouldn't even known that that was wrong or disordered had it not been for the law to say, do you notice how you're coveting all the time? Why? Are you not satisfied with the good gifts of your father? And third, fitting the full biblical story and the message of the gospel, every commandment not just reveals God's character and our human fallen condition, it reveals our need of Christ. And it helps us draw to him. But this commandment exposes that if we are desiring things outside or beyond what God has given, there is misalignment that needs to be adjusted. I was 23 in seminary down in Texas. I, was, I, was, I would play basketball these early mornings on a Friday 
And I was, I was playing basketball, and it was actually cold Dallas Day, which probably meant like 40s, but everyone was wearing winter coats and Eskimo gear. So I, but I didn't even wear a jacket or anything. I had shorts, T-shirt. I'm heading back to the dorm before I got to go to class. And the balance of the basketball and the cold, I got a muscle tweak right in between my shoulder blades. There was a massive knot that I could not get out. I could barely sit in class all day. I tried to sleep that night. I could not sleep. I couldn't turn my head to the left or the right. I felt I could feel this muscle. Just something was off alignment on my back. So I go back to this fancy club that we got to be at for free as students as part of the seminary, but it was ritzy. The Dallas Mavericks practiced there, and I said, I need some kind of massage. I think I need a massage. They're like, that's no problem. $50 for 15 minutes. And I'm like, I have no money. But I, my back hurts so bad, I said, I'll pay $50 for 15 minutes. So I walk into this room, and in walks the smallest human I've ever seen. And she looks at me and says, I don't think this is going to work. So she goes back behind some magical curtain or whatever, and out comes, I'm not kidding you, Arnold Schwarzenegger's brother. Okay, it really wasn't his brother, but he sounded like him, and he had an accent. And I basically heard this like Russian from Rocky IV saying, I must break you. Like, that's what I heard. And he's standing there, and he's looking at me, he says, get on the table. So I lay on the table, and I'm, I am not, I mean, he had bulging muscles, and I literally was whimpering, please don't kill me. And I felt more pain in my back from him. I just heard crunches. And I'm like, do you know what you're doing? Be silent. You know, I mean, it's and he's, but I'm telling you, here, here's the thing that was amazing to me. This is all true. I, within a matter of minutes after excruciating pain, I began to feel this massive releasing of the muscles in my upper back. And actually, I don't remember how it finished because I woke up grueling on the table and he'd let me sleep for like 30 or 40 minutes. Like they didn't even use the room. They're like, I wasn't going to wake you. And he left the room and I woke up and I'm like, how long have I been here? Like he relaxed me so much. I literally slept for 30 to 45 minutes after this realignment of my muscles. And I found out by his graciousness, he even said to me, he said, your back was so tight. He says, I gave you a half an hour. Just a, just a kind gift to a poor grad student, I guess. I still paid 50 bucks for that half hour. It felt when I walked back, because it was walking distance, as I'm walking back to my seminary dorm, my body felt so good. I just thought of all the hunching over computers and reading, let alone just whatever, that muscle thing, and all of a sudden things were realigned. Actually, it wasn't anything new, it was just alignment of what I already had. So think of coveting as that. Like if you're desiring the wrong things, there is much aching and pain because there's a disordering of the way you were designed and what you've been given. But when the muscles are properly ordered, there is no pain. There is peace. If the negative of the Tenth Commandment, what it's saying plainly is forbidding the desiring of things outside or beyond what God has given, what's the positive? Here's number two. The Tenth Commandment demands then, here's the positive, that Christians pursue contentment in the Lord. So are you content? Are you content with your income? 
Are you content with your marriage and your spouse? Like these are deep things. Are you content with your kids? Are you disappointed in some way? Maybe because you, like lots of us, are tempted to live vicariously through our children. How about your job? How about that monthly or every other week direct deposit? Is it enough for you? How about your car, your home, your community? How about just your life? Are you content? Ultimately, the 10th commandment is teaching us to pursue contentment in the Lord. Notice I added that, pursue contentment in the Lord, meaning there's no standard everyone content, and here's the poverty line. Contentment in the Lord means that since he is the one who gives, and he is the one who has given to us, we must submit our desires to him and to what he's given and receive in submission what he's given to us. I love that we've, the last nine weeks and now this 10th, have used things like the Heidelberg Catechism or the Westminster Larger Catechism to let our brothers and sisters from the past help us think through how this text was applied. And the Westminster Catechism, question 147, does a beautiful job this week. What are the duties? It's in your notes. What are the duties required in the 10th commandment? The duties required are, get this, such a full contentment with our own condition. I underlined that for you because I didn't think you would. Did you see that? It doesn't say a partial contentment with our own condition. It said full. And part of me wants to ask the Westminster divines, were you fully content? With your big white wigs sitting in London writing this in the 1500s? Were you content? Full contentment? But notice this, and such a charitable frame of the whole soul toward our neighbor as that all our inward motions and affections touching him tend unto and further all that good which is his. Now, these smart fellows writing this half a millennium ago, let me tell you what they're trying to say. That you and I would be so content with what we've got that we actually no longer have a lens evaluating what we need. And that lens is turned outward so that now all of your attention, all of your affection, all of your desiring is not for you but for others. Now imagine living that kind of life. Imagine what it's like to always be full and hydrated so you just are worrying about what somebody else needs to eat or drink. Imagine being so satisfied with your wife or husband, with your children, with your house, with your job, with your body, with your life, that you can turn all the attention on those who may be in need. A full contentment with our own condition. Or as I framed it, that you and I would pursue contentment in the Lord. So there's that scan of your heart. What has the great physician revealed thus far? Do you have full contentment with your own condition? Maybe even things you wouldn't even think about talking about. Ways when you look at your marriage, you would say, I'm not satisfied. Is that because your spouse is subpar? 
Is it because your job is subpar? Or have you only had such and such an amount of money? Or like that muscle in my back is something so misaligned that I couldn't even turn to the right or the left. There's a pain in there because something is disordered. This is where I think the law is beautiful. If we had time, we could have spent a little longer talking about the Ten Commandments and the purpose of the law like we kind of began before we started all the ten. But look at that last text that Carly read, Psalm 19. We can think of maybe in a context of law versus gospel that some Christian traditions kind of hold, but when you see the whole biblical story as communicating a covenant of grace that extends from beginning to end. Notice how God gave the law almost so that we could healthily see our world and know who we are and know who he is. So listen to God's depiction of the law, like the 10th commandment. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. All of these, by the way, are synonymous ways of circling around the beauty of God's purposeful law. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Notice how almost all the senses and all the desires are rightly oriented based upon the beauty of God's law. But I love verse 10 because it talks about money. It says that the law is more to be desired than gold. Oh, how we reverse that. Well, yeah, yeah, I'd be content if I made such and such. Or I'd be content if I didn't have this physical ailment. Or I'd be content if, man, have you seen our kitchen or our house or our garage or our roof? I'd be content if. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Lord, right, hear the pastoral reflection. Lord, help me to taste the goodness of the 10th commandment. Lord, scan my heart and show me where my loves and my desires are disordered. The law reveals God's character, it reveals our sinful condition. And third, it always points us to Christ. So last... The 10th commandment shepherds us to aim our desires toward Christ and his providential provisions for us. Please hear me. The 10th commandment is not calling us to be monks or to eat only stale bread and warm water. No ice, please. 10th commandment. It's actually affirming God's common grace provisions. And it's, it, it's wanting you, exhorting you to... Take full delight in all the wines of life, the beauty of your children, the marriage that you have, the home that you live in. But that house of ours in California, while I was discontent, my three children loved it and have only fond memories. Why? Did the room expand? I mean, when all of a sudden they were in it? Like a C.S. Lewis tale? Same small little place. One kid's bed slid under the bottom of two bunks so that when we move to a bigger house in Illinois, they want to sleep together again. Because sometimes 
When a two-year-old brother gets scared, he wants to lay next to a four-year-old brother. Or when a two-year-old sister gets a little nervous in the dark, she wants an older brother's hand to hold. Contentment. What this text is warning us, what the Tenth Commandment is warning us, is that, is that if we leave the common grace that God has assigned to us, which can be different than others, but when we leave the common grace God has assigned to us, we are actually leaving His grace altogether. We think we can find it somewhere else. But, but listen to the consequence. We will not be free to enjoy good things because we will be enslaved to the feeling of needing more. We will not spend our days enjoying the common grace gifts God has given us because we are always reaching for the toys of others. Like that little kid who, dude, you got the fire truck. Why are you taking from your sister? It's like they're not even playing with that toy because they're trying to take others. Or like this, like a rude person at a party. Ever met one of these? We look, they look past the person to whom they're talking to see if somebody better comes in. How do you feel when that happens? So imagine that before your heavenly father. Oh, thanks God. Yeah, thanks for the kids in the house. Gotcha, yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, mm-hmm. When we do that, you know what we make God? We make God a divine butler and a cosmic therapist. And it, you, you don't have to be beholden to a prosperity gospel to be thinking through prosperity gospel categories because what we've done in the richest country in the world, maybe without even realizing it, is that we have taken the American dream and we just baptized it and put it in the church. And there's minimal place for suffering. I have a picture in my office of a friend of mine named Chad who died 20 years ago when he was just 27. I'm 47. Why did I get to live 20 years more than he did when his wife was pregnant with her fourth kid when cancer finally took his life? Well, that's the easier side. What if you were the one who had the cancer at 27? In short, we will be discontent when we do not align our desires to Christ and his provisions for us. Let Jesus pass you for a minute. A couple statements he made that resonate with contentment. When teaching us how to pray for our needs, listen to this. We were to pray, Father, give us this day our daily bread. That's interesting, isn't it? Father, just give me what I need today. Or how about this? Talking about all the anxiety and the worry and the stress of this big world. Jesus says this. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. No, not in equal measure, no. There will be six foot five, and there will be five foot five. There will be somebody that lives to 90 years old and there will be somebody who dies of cancer at 27. There will be big houses and small houses. There will be families with a quiver full of children and there will be loving would-be parents who literally are dealing with infertility. 
There will be beautifully symmetrical faces, and there will be some that are just not as beautiful. There will be bank accounts that they don't even know what to do with all their money, and others who are fighting to make it week by week. None of that is the focus that God makes. Other than that, you would have your desire be Christ, and you would trust and submit to his providential provisions. So what does obeying the 10th commandment look like? Let me give you, to finish our EKG MRI, let me give you a contentment test. You might be coveting if, number one, you have hurt others to get more for yourself. Now don't think of this as just kind of rough and tumble kind of business world. Think of it this way. Do you do whatever it takes? Do you cut corners? How about this, workaholics? You work too many hours? Or how about this? Has your work and your travel or your job taken you away from being present with your spouse? Has your work and your job taken you and stolen time from your kids that you should have with them? How about just your church family? All these brothers and sisters that equally need your care and concern and love and fellowship, has your job stolen time from them? And it may be unavoidable, but it's at least worth asking the question. Have you hurt others to get more for yourself? Second contentment test question. You might be coveting if you are preoccupied with making and accumulating more. Are you addicted to shopping? Do you want the newest things or think about the new things or new experiences all the time? Do you simply never have enough money for the things you wish you had? Do you always want something? Are you always on to the next thing? Do you talk about what you want or what you hope to get all the time, researching it on your phones and your computers and in magazines? Then you might be coveting if you are preoccupied with making and accumulating more. Third, you might be coveting if you are unwilling to give up what you already have. Work makes you too busy for your family, for your friends, for your church. You lack generosity. You certainly lack hospitality. And you rarely see the needs of others. They actually become an inconvenience to you. And you rarely share your resources with them. Or how about this? You rarely give a fair portion of the money God has given you back to him. Do you know why God even set up the whole, starting in the Old Testament, tithes, but moving the offerings in the new? You know why? You think it's because God needed money? Of course. He gave you money, and then he, oh, oh, I gave too much. Can you give me some of that back? Like, of course not. He gave you money because he doesn't need a dime. And he commands you to give back to him because he's worried about your heart condition. So ironically, he's asking, commanding you to give for your good. So you know you might be coveting if you are unwilling to give up what you already have. Fourth and last contentment test, you might be coveting if you are frequently grumbling about your house, your spouse, they're not going to all rhyme like that, your possessions, or simply the state of your life. You're simply not satisfied. You're always making too much money or too little money. Something's always incomplete. You're always unfulfilled or you're bored. Now, boredom is an interesting task. Think, think of boredom like a fever. In the ancient world, 
The ancients would say they viewed boredom as a primary symptom of discontentment. So boredom is like a fever. When you're bored, there might be something going on, a sickness that might need to get healed. Like a person with a fever. So if any of this fits you, and don't be scared if it does, because it probably fits us all. It's one of the big ten, ten commandments, which probably means it's a core pillar of our disorientation because of sin. What can you do about it? I think you can do three things. Receive, submit, and enjoy. First, receive what you have been given from the Lord as His gift to you, your spouse. And you to your spouse, with all your inadequacies, selfishness, always that there will be an incompleteness in what you bring or she brings or vice versa, that is God's gift to you. Enjoy it. Your job, your skill set, your 6'5 or your 5'5, healthy body or all the aches and pains is your allotment. Receive it. But second, you need to submit yourself to what God has given you as your assigned portion. This is, it's not the same. It's, I'm not looking, yeah, yep, yeah, got the house, got the kids, 2.5, good. Didn't want the dog, okay. Um, bigger house or big, no, 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 no. Because it's Jesus who gave it to you. You're not going to look past Jesus. You're going to say, thus saith the Lord, this is the will of God. I will submit to it. And third, you will enjoy it. Learn to enjoy it. Imagine marriages that are pursuing contentment. Imagine parents who are not living vicariously through their kids, but are content with all the little natures of their kids. Imagine people, Christians, right, who are content with their income levels, and they're just saying, thus saith the Lord, as to the Lord, in the Lord, I'm going to find contentment in my little house or in my wife or husband, or in my kids, or in the body I've been given, or the community in which I live, I'm going to pursue contentment. I'm going to receive it from the Lord, I'm going to submit to it, and I'm going to learn to enjoy it. I love, I love what the marriage advice of Ecclesiastes 9.9, listen to what the, the, the preacher he's called says. It's marriage advice 101. Enjoy life with the, wife, with the wife whom you love all the days of your empty life. He's like, dude, life is hard. Think about this, married people. That is God's gift to you. They're not perfect. And brother or sister, neither are you. But you are God's gift to the other enjoy it because life is hard. And this is this, that God has given another son because that is your portion in life in all your toil, which you toil under the sun. Enjoy it. Imagine a Christian fitting where, ending with where we started earlier. Maybe you can help me with this. Imagine a Christian who looks at their house, whatever size it is, looks at their spouse, looks at their kids, looks at their job, looks at their body, looks at their intellect and skill set, looks at their life. In the midst of all the temptation to look beyond it, they sing in their soul what we sang earlier. 
Will you sing it with me? God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so good. Now close your eyes. We're going to sing it again. Good job, choir. I'm not replacing Glenna. That's obviously I did poor. But close your eyes. Now think about your marriage. Think about your family. Think about your income. Think about all those things that are so tempting to want. And I'll sing that again. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. Father, help us to submit and align our desires to your will for us, to enjoy your provisions. Father, help us to take and receive and enjoy your good gifts to us. May that obedience to the Ten Commandments change our marriages, change the way we think about our children, the way we live in our house, the way we crave. May it reorder our desires find a trust and a satisfaction in the Lord and His provisions for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.